Good morning. Good day today, Father's Day. It's good being a dad. Um, appreciate the opportunity to, I'm just going to share a story today and a, a few verses, so call it preaching if you want, it's up to you. Um, last week I, it's always a struggle to get up here for me. Anyway, last week, last Saturday I had me doubts again and I'm on my way to Pastor John's place again to have a chat to him and I don't know if this is right, John, and I turned into his street up the back here and I'm in my work truck, it weighs about five ton and, um, Pastor John's coming out of his street. I nearly cleaned him up, so <laughs> he took the pastor out. It wasn't a good look. Anyway, uh, and God spoke to me that time. He said, don't worry about it. He's not at home and you're going to do this. So I rang John later and apologised to him. He said, was that you, was it? <laughs> so anyway, so um, we had a song to play at the end of this and it looks like it's come through. It wasn't. So we prayed up there and God's allowed it to happen. So we handed it to him and... Uh, he obviously wants it played today, so we'll run with that at the end. So it's only a short little story here, message. Um, the opening verse I want to talk about is Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I was encouraged to hear that, la- that verse last week in the Gideon's video, spoken by an ex-prisoner who found Jesus in a small 4 by 4 metre prison cell. She cried out to him. And now she goes back into the prison to minister to others. I'm just going to read from a devotion from the Daily Bread um, from last week, and it's called Seeds of Time. In 1879, people watching William Beale would likely think he was a loony. They'd see the professor of botany filling 20 bottles with various seeds and then burying them in deep soil. What they didn't know was that Bill was conducting a seed viability experiment, which would span centuries. Every 20 years, a bottle would be dug up to plant its seeds and see which seeds would germinate. Jesus talked a lot about seed planting, often likening the sowing of seed to the spreading of the word. It's in Mark 4.15. He taught that some seeds are snatched by Satan, Others have no foundation and don't take root. Yet others are hampered by the life around them and are choked out. As we spread the good news, it's not up to us which seeds survive. Our job is to simply sow them. Sow the gospel and tell others about Jesus. And that verse again, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. In 2021, another of Beale's bottles was dug up. The seeds were planted by researchers and some sprouted, having survived more than 142 years. As God works through us and we share our faith with others, we never know if the word we share will take root or when. But we're we're to be encouraged that our sowing of the good news might, even after many years, be received by someone who will accept it and produce a crop. As a footnote, William Bill buried those bottles in the grounds of the Michigan State University in the US and the experiment we finished sometime around 2100. I want to share today about one specific way of sowing seeds. It's a ministry that I'm involved in with my family as well and that's by using these Charles newspapers. And a short testimony about a young man who gave his heart to the Lord after reading the paper. He's, um, he's in and out of jail, this guy, and he's in rehab at the moment, so I've been able to get a hold of him so I 
I'll try not to use his name. I'm not really good at that, but anyway, he lives in a state. So many years ago, we were new Christians, and um, we left church one day, my wife and the family, and we did our shopping. We went to Coles and Cundinara, and at that time, the Coles trolleys, I don't know if they're still good, you put a dollar coin in and release the latch, and um, we'd have incentive to bring it back. So there's always people to meet you at the front door of Coles that want to push your trolley back, and... Um, and that was, we had this, I'll call him my friend from Kununurra if I can try and remember. So he, he followed me out to the car, to the car and in the back of the Nissan were loading the bags in weeks worth of groceries, groceries. And I, I took my time, didn't I? Because he was a captive audience. And so he heard the gospel then and then. I think he got a challenge newspaper and we parted company. I wished him well. But that started a friendship with that man. That man, um, he had an addiction problem with alcohol and he was an Englishman with, a, with an accent, university trained, and he lived on the streets, but a semi-homeless, a lot of friends, and he lived his whole life for alcohol. And as far as I'm aware, he didn't know Jesus, but he certainly heard about it that day. But it started a friendship with that young man. Um, God's given me a, a gift or well, it's a desire to be alongside those sort of fellows and um, to try and meet them where they're at, that's hard because we don't truly know how they are. We're not in that situation. But these men generally struggle to find their place in the world. They don't know their self-worth. They sometimes struggle with homelessness, homelessness addiction or financial insecurity. A couple of years ago, I was out at Dimbul and I was helping one man and his mate um, moved from the caravan park tent site to a shed at Arriga and they had no transport. So we loaded everything in the car and um, there wasn't much and that was it. These two two guys with all their various problems and so forth and we shifted them. And it had been on my heart for a while that imagine if one day I could be like that just for a couple of days to get an appreciation of what it's like. And I said that to the fella, and he said, Dave, you can never truly know what it's like to have no hope till you have nothing. You can always go back to what you have, and he's absolutely right. I wouldn't know till I'd lost everything, like him. But even then, I would still have hope, because there was one key difference between him and I. I had the hope of Jesus Christ in me, which no one could take away. And if it truly came down to it, I had everything in him. But Jesus died for this fellow too, and I shared my faith with him in words and actions. Praise God here for that. It's nothing to do with me. It's his gift and his situation and his desires put in me. We just need to be obedient and walk in whatever God's given us. In James 1.17 it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The gifts are from God. And he knows exactly what he's doing when he bestows them upon us. I like being around those blokes. I know God's blessing and his peace in those places. We all have a place of influence in the world to use our gifts, starting, of course, with our immediate family. But we can also be gifted to reach a special group of people that others are not gifted to reach. And at times, 
And a fair bit of time you see there is no better place to see that than working in a church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20 it says, For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, am I not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set his members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? And now indeed there are many members, yet one body. We're all gifted in many ways, many different ways, including being able to speak to different types of people. And the Lord puts us where he wants us to be. I remember a long time ago, many years ago, I was wanting to be in another church from where I was, but I felt God was saying to stay where I was. It was a real battle until one day he used those scriptures and and he picked on the ear part and he said to me, Dave, what if all the ears were in one place? How would the church look then? It made perfect sense to me then and it still does now. And it helped me to fully fully embrace, finally fully embrace the church I was in at the time and be obedient to God. So back to my friend in Kununurra. A year or so later we left and I'd been catching up with a guy every now and then and meeting him on the streets and spending time with him. And so in late 13 we left Kununurra and we came here and uh, I was going back that year nearly every month for, for nearly a year and I'd get him working for me on the farm. We still had the mango farm, so I'd take him out there and you want to work for me, I'll pay you well and feed you and look after you, but there's no grog. And uh, so we agreed to that. We ended up doing a harvest, a mango harvest, and he worked for three weeks for me and worked that guy could work. Unbelievable. He didn't seem to bother him. He was only a slight little fella, but just very fiery and hard and tough. And he worked hard and he earned a lot of money for him, that was, for the three weeks. We did a lot of hours. So I'd head home soon after that. So I paid him and had to release him back to town. Well, everyone was drunk the next day, all his mates, everyone. Sort of didn't know what to do with all that. But I knew I had to encourage him out of that place of influence. It wasn't good for him. So the next trip up, I caught up with him. I saw him the night before. I came from the airport, I think. Caught up with him in town, found him. not hard to find. And um, so you're right to work. I'm back in town. Yep, yep, big out in the morning. Anyway. He wasn't where he was supposed to be in the morning. He was drunk, but anyway, I found him, and he was a real mess. I took him out of the farm in the morning, and I normally make him breakfast. I said, right, you're not coming in the house like that, drunk. I'm not having that in here. I gave him a pillow and a blanket and a cold drink of water, a bottle of water. I said, get out under that tree and sort yourself out. Anyway, I looked out. He was out there for four hours. It was midday, and halfway through that, I had looked up and God was talking to me about him. It's a bit hard to describe what he showed me, but here he is sitting on a blanket like a child, sitting down, just helpless and vulnerable. 
God gave me a compassion for him and then he showed me what was around him. How God had been keeping him safe and protected all these years and all the dangers and everything. God had his hand on him. I knew then there was something going on. Not sure it was that day or the next, but that night, he went, that day he went back to work and we got him sorted and I cooked him tea. We had the house there on the farm, so we stayed in the spare bedroom and he was in there reading the Channel's newspaper. And I was cooking him tea and I gave him a call at 6.30. I said, Tucker's on and he came out and he came out with his paper and he opened up about three quarters of the way through. He said, David, just, I can't remember his exact words, but he gave his heart to the Lord. It was genuine, what I can gather. I didn't do a thing, he just read the paper. So, so he finished his days with me and I could see a change in this fellow. Something was going on. And his mum was in a state, we rang her up and she said she'd have him back. So we tucked him up on a bus and Cafferty's bus or whatever it was and that was a Greyhound bus and gave him a Bible and sent him on his way to Darwin and and that was that. He had a bit of cash and tried to keep him away from the crew back here in Kananara that were leading him astray. So I flew back home, back to Marie, but we're staying down there at the time. We just got here, 14. And I knew he had to get hooked into a church. I heard of this church in Darwin that had um, a hostel and a bit of an outreach program. So I rang, got the number of the church and got the hostel. And I got onto a... Um, Caretaker there, bloke, talking about it. He said, yeah, 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 just get him to come to church. We'll find him. We'll yeah, work it out. And um, in the process, he said, oh, I'll give you, I said, I'll give you my name and number. And I gave him a name and number. And he said, you're Dave Dent from Bargo, are you? I said, yeah, that's where I used to live. Mum and Dad lived there. He said, my name's Willie Kefir. Back in 1973, I had a best friend in second class. And I lost track of him, and that was him. So, <laughs> couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen him. I think I've seen him once when he's 19. He was a born again believer, and he was trying to get me to come to church then. But we lost track with each other all around the world. And God blessed me by bringing me best mate from second grade back into my life again. So, that's good. So, unfortunately, this story doesn't have a happy ending, and I say yet in capital letters. My friend didn't hook him with the church and his old ex-partner came up to see him in Darwin and dragged him back to Kununurra and it was back to the old lifestyle and history was just repeating itself again. Kept in, I lost touch with him. He couldn't keep a phone going long enough to keep in contact with him. According to his mum, he ended up in Broome Prison for breaking and entering and he had a real uh, alcohol addiction which he was just stealing to sell to buy grog. That's all he was doing. That was how he met him, he was collecting enough dollar coins to buy a can at the bottle. I would have taken a few trolleys, but but right now I think there is hope he's in rehab. So I'm looking forward one day to catching up with him again. But he seemed very genuine in declaring Jesus Lord, and as we know, only God truly knows a man's heart. So I hope and pray for an outcome, as it says in Mark 4, verse 20. Verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some 60, and some 100. So hopefully one day I'll get to meet him again and encourage him in his walk with the Lord. But that was just that story. But since we've been here, and I've sort of had a thing for Charles Newspapers ever since I've become a Christian, and I've shared up the front here before how we do a handout. Um, 
in the mailboxes all around Atherton. This is them there. They're old editions from Challenge in Perth. At the time, we're getting these for free. They they get a whole lot of old editions, and they've got to throw them out after 12 months because they get a bit yellow and you can't use them. And I got on the guy out there. I said, Len, do not throw another one out. We're going to find somewhere to put these papers. But um, so yeah, that's what we're doing with them. We we get the old editions, and we I got a rubber stamp with a phone number and my name on it, and people need help they can ring me we bag them up and I shared this at the business meeting three or four months ago and I got five volunteers straight up so it was pretty exciting um, to help bag them and deliver them and to pray but there is a cost involved with these things and with John's permission he said I could offer this to you if you want to be involved financially or delivering them or praying for them whatever um, there's freight to get them out of Perth and the bags cost money and we're only limited by finances at the moment because we've got plenty of helpers that want to help. So I just want to share that with you. And um, um, I'll leave you with a quick story. Um, so there's a lot of no junk mail boxes in Atherton. I reckon it's between 10 to 15%. depends if it's a new estate or not. And um, we respect that totally. We don't want to give the paper a bad name by putting them in there. And so the last time I went out... I spend a lot of time praying when I'm going out, and it's just a great place of peace to be, just delivering out these channelless newspapers to um, letterboxes. And uh, I decided I'm going to pray over these letterboxes. They've got no junk mail on it. And, uh, and I say, Father, just pray that you would send someone else to speak to these people because I can't deliver this, and you would send someone else. And I keep going. The next week we come to church, and someone attends this church, uh, I put one in her letterbox and and she said, yeah, Dave, you wouldn't believe what happened. I went and asked my neighbour this week if she wanted to come to church. So she's talking to her about this person about Jesus and I remember praying over that letterbox. So God answers prayer and it's an encouragement for God to us to keep going. Um, that's all I wanted to share with you today. And I've got a song to play. This song really, you could say it doesn't tie in with this message, but I want to share it with you. It's a great song. Um, Looks like Cheryl's out of win up there, which is good. The lyrics are good, and it gives us something to look forward to when we leave this place. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 